Good afternoon, dear listeners. You are tuned into CJSR FM 88.5, and this is Moving Radio. I'm your host, Christian Zip, and join me, please, won't you, for the next one half hour as we take a look at local, Canadian, and independent cinema. Well, as it's uh, getting close to the beginning of the month, that always means in the second week of every month, and and this is a, a thing that you can bet on almost you know with your life, is that there will be a Dead Fest film at the Metro on the second Friday of every month. And once again, the Dead Fest people are coming through. This time, it's the Stephen King classic, Maximum Overdrive. So I discuss Maximum Overdrive, um, maybe how bad it is, and maybe how, I guess, good it is now, because it's bad. So we discuss that and, uh, and the screening that's coming up on Friday, July 12th. As well, coming up at the Metro Cinema this weekend is a phenomenal documentary. It's about soul singer Charles Bradley, and oddly enough, it's called Charles Bradley, Soul of America. Director Paul Bryan, we have an interview with him on the show uh, that we found from another source. So we're going to roll that out as we prepare you for that film screening this weekend. And on top of that, too, we're going to talk to our good friend Tras Ostashewski about some classic cinema that the Edmonton Film Society is presenting all that and a little bit more on this week's edition of Moving Radio with me, your host, Christian Zip. I did notice a new sandwich board. Yeah. I, was, I was walking down White Avenue today and I was thinking, there's something strangely alluring that is drawing me towards the lobby, even stronger than usual. And what it was, was a sexy new sandwich board outside the lobby. That's right. You know what? Sexy and sandwich boards, those two <laughs> words go together all the time. But this time, it, it took it to another level. My good friend Brian actually made me my, my new sandwich board now. So no longer is it the 2005 ghetto version I've had for the last seven and a half years. Did you do that one too? Or, or uh, no, or that I have one? no artistic skills at all. I did the words, but like on the old one, but like the actual lobby, like the old one, I'm like, I can't do that stuff. So the fact that now, you know, the popcorn and soda man are represented yes. on the sidewalk which adds to the also the new sign that it was put up a couple weeks earlier. So I'm like, well, I got the shirt to match now and be getting some more lobby shirts in right away, finally. Finally. Finally, man. Pretty, so, you know, hang on there, kids. All you, uh, we'll be getting some lobby lobby uh, popcorn and soda knife-wielding shirts going back on for uh, you to purchase. And uh, possibly some Dead Fest shirts going on right away, too. So uh, at some point, I will have seven shirts for seven days. All dead fest. It'll be well, yeah, exactly. I mean, we'd have some dead fest shirts, some House of Heathen shirts, last video store shirts. That would give me four right there. We're so close. One, one, one shirt away from Business Week covered. You know, <laughs> exactly. and then, or you know what? Maybe four is good. Then you can have Casual Fridays. So don't yeah. even worry about it. And then I can just deviate away from it. Well, what we're here to talk about, Kev, is uh, a screening that's coming up next Friday. Of course, it is the second Friday in July, so that means. Like every second Friday in any month of the year, it's Dead Fest time. And this month, uh, I think this is an interesting one. I like this because there may be not controversy necessarily, but not necessarily a film where people are like, they hold it up on a pedestal and has an amazing <laughs> cult status, but I think is so much fun and is really cool. But yeah, it's it's got its issues, let's say. You know, uh, if, if it was Stephen King, he'd be holding it up above a toilet, ready to drop it in there and flush <laughs> it down. Um, 
the favorite question ever in the interview with King was, uh, how come you never directed another movie uh, after you did Maximum Overdrive? And King's response was, did you see Maximum Overdrive? <laughs> that should answer your question. Well, here we are. Jeez, uh, almost 30 years later now. 27 years. That's scary. Years. crazy, man. I can't believe that. I know. Don't make me feel all dated and stuff. Yeah. Um, trying to... Um, bring new light to this misunderstood film from uh, the hot, sweaty summer August of 1986. Um, at that time, King was, uh, well, he was King. He truly was, you know? I mean, the guy was, he's still like one of the best-selling authors of all time, but like he was in his prime, late 70s, early 80s. Whatever he wanted would get done. So when he said, I want to finally direct my own movie, nobody was going to say no to him. When he said, hey, I'm, I'm Stephen King. My favorite band is ACDC. I'm going to get those guys to do my soundtrack. They're going to do the entire album for my movie. They said that, yes. That was probably the smartest thing he that did. That was the best thing he did. Yeah. Because really, I love Maximum Overdrive for its awesome cheese and so many levels. But when people think of Maximum Overdrive, usually the first th thing they think about is Gordon Bombay. But more importantly, they also think about ACDC, the Who Made Who album. Who made who? Yeah, and you know, for all you youngins out there, even if you're a DC fan, you own that album. Odds of you owning that album with the original cover, it's cool if you do because when that album first came out, it the cover of the vinyl and the cassette was Maximum Overdrive, mm -hmm. and because that, they changed the cover because it was a well, well, critically and financially <laughs> a huge blunder, big time, which actually made Stephen King seem human. Now, I could be wrong. I don't know, like, you know, King, very open and honest about his uh, 80s drug use back in the day. Like, he basically doesn't even remember writing Cujo at all. He was in a cocaine bender for, like, six months. And he reads it. He's like, I didn't read that. Did I write that book? <laughs> I guess. Bestseller still. I'm the man. Uh, so I'm kind of curious if, if he was still during, in that phase when he directed uh, Maximum Overdrive. Because the only, the only evidence I have to go on is, have you ever seen the original theatrical trailer for Max Overdrive where Stephen King is talking to us, the audience, yes. going, I'm going to scare the hell out of you with his cross-eyed shenanigans going on. <laughs> Seriously, if you're near a computer, YouTube the trailer right now. Maximum Overdrive trailer, one of the best trailers you'll ever see. I just wanted someone to do Stephen King right. You want a war? You got one. I just want to get the hell out of here. So come and spend some time with me and my friends at the Dixie Boy. Spend some time in the dark. Please don't let us be in the dark. I'm going to scare the hell out of you. That's a promise. You're going to get us in an awful lot of trouble, man. We already in trouble. Maximum terror. Ah! Jesus coming and he is. Maximum king. Maybe tomorrow will be our world again. Dino De Laurentiis presents <laughs> Stephen King's Maximum Overdrive. Um, but yeah, about the movie. I mean, for those of you that aren't familiar with the Mighty Ducks and Gordon Bombay, of course, I'm talking about Charlie Sheen's brother, Emilio Estevez, mm -hmm. who um, at this point, he was sort of making a career for himself. You know, he'd done Repo Man. He'd done the horror anthology uh, Nightmares. Um, he was still a few years away from Billy the Kid and Young Guns. Actually, I think it was about two years away. It was getting uh, 88. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. Because that was more around high school for me was Young Guns. Yeah, that's about right. Uh, John Bond. 
Oh, that's Young Guns too. Sorry. <laughs> that's, you had to wait even a little longer for yeah, that. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, but so they, I guess they decided to let him carry the movie. And uh, I don't know. I mean, look, there's some, there's some really horrible dialogue in that movie. Uh, yeah, I don't fault Estevez for like being no. bad. I just think it wasn't a great script necessarily. Well, I mean, the only miscasting I could see was whoever played that waitress, the blonde waitress, yeah. when she kicks, when she runs out of the restaurant, starts yelling at the trucks, <laughs> we made you, we made you. And you're just like, oh my God. But I'm like, you're captivated with, is she for real? Is she for? I don't know. If she's for real. Now, that I, inspired Angus Young to write a classic ACDC song with "Who Made Who." That is true. They should. We made, made you. What if they stuck with the lyrics? We made you. <laughs> I'd be looking at that song in a whole different way. <laughs> yeah. No, because that'd be answering the question where Angus mm. and the boys they just wrote out the question. Right. They let the audience decide. That's the genius of the DC. Mm-hmm. You remember who played Emilio Estevez's boss in the uh, in the movie? God, no. The dirty. I do not. Southern, it's Pat Hengel, who oh, referred to Emilio's character as, what you doing there, Bubba? That's his favorite word in the world in that one. And also, you know, I feel like we're spoiling a bunch of stuff here, but like, I'm being very vague about spoilers, but, mm -hmm. you know, hopefully you've seen the movie and just want to see it in the big screen. But uh, that movie freaked me out when I was a kid because it was one of my first recollections of a child being killed in a horror movie. Pretty yeah. badly, too. Yeah. The baseball team scene. Mm -hmm. The steamroller. I'm like, did they just kill, like, a 12-year-old kid? Because teenagers, that's cool. Because at that time, I wasn't a teenager yet. But I'm like, they can kill kids my age? That's, that's kind of heavy, man. We're just playing Little League. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> it's more like they were the, an awful kid. Yeah, like, uh, you know, pop dispensing machines the same way again after that either. That, that is a great moment. I won't ruin that for anyone either, mm -hmm. necessarily. I think probably the genius of this, Kevin, is that this is good light summer fare. This is a popcorn film that never got to be one, right? I totally agree. And it's funny. I feel like now we had promised this movie originally in March a few months ago. And then uh, we didn't know who owned the rights in Canada. So we had to cancel it last minute. Well, problem solved. Uh, but for all you uh, diehard genre fans out there, to know the trouble we're going through to bring this film print for you, it, and it is a film print, it's 35 mil, um, it's coming from, like, Europe, okay? Um, there's only a few left in existence, and, uh, you know, my partner Derek managed to track one down, so, you know, kudos to him. So, we're going through a little bit of effort so we can get the full blast 35 millimeter print. I, I, I don't know what shape it's going to be in, fingers crossed, it's going to be pretty solid, but I will say it will be vintage. That much I can guarantee right. you. Well, I think, for me at least, there's a certain amount of, uh, you know, there is that sentimentality, but there's a great deal more forgiveness yeah. for it. And it almost feels like uh, driving-esque. If we could rip the lid off the Garneau, which your people might do, mm. just from pure excitement and, and adult, adult beverages. Yes. <laughs> that if you could, this is maybe the perfect drive-in movie in some ways. I will say that. You know, that just reminds me, this could be the perfect drinking movie too. Every yeah. time you hear an ACDC song, you got to have a drink. <laughs> Yikes. Um, yeah, And you know what else vindicates this movie a bit more? They tried to, according to them, fix their mistake by taking the original short story Trucks and doing it over again in the 90s, and they made the movie Trucks. That went, it was a cable movie, but it was Stephen King's Trucks, based on the original story that Maximum Overdrive also was on. It starred Tim Busfield from, mm -hmm. like, 30-something, and it was horrendous. 
It's so bad that we probably showed the trailer for that in front of Maximum Overdrive to show you, like, sometimes <laughs> you think you got it wrong the first time. Yeah, the second time is even worse. You know, like Ghost Rider. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you know, like just, you know, maybe not. Maybe just let it be. Let it be, you know. By the way, I'm not comparing Max Overdrive with Ghost Rider because yeah. Max Overdrive is hell of a lot more entertaining. Yeah. Yeah. Um, best thing about this film that you loved that, that you know, when you look back on, you're like, this this is the coolest thing about this film, even though people didn't get it at the time because it was very easy to dismiss, right? I mean, that was kind of the issue with it. Mm. So what's what's sentimental about it? What do you still love about this? What made you bring it here? Uh, well, A, I think I watched that movie way too many times as a kid on my old beta machine. Um, look, if you, you couldn't, as a child, you couldn't help but be captivated of the image of the Green Goblin's head mm-hmm. on that semi-truck, you know? And that, that's an immortal image. You, you can say the movie's cheesy and this and that, but that was truly terrifying, you know? And you remember who the truck driver of that, that vehicle was, by the way? No. It's Barney from Silence of the Lambs. Oh, wow. Wow, take it back. <laughs> and you remember, you, me- me- you remember the newlywed couple? Like yeah. the, 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 and the wife had the really high pitch, annoying voice. You yeah. just wanted to slap her. You know who, uh, you, you know what became of her? Well, she's the voice of Lisa Simpson. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. Right. Oh, snaps. Blew your mind away with some pop culture knowledge. That's right. Yeah. There's a lot of gems in this movie, you know? <laughs> and, and it's weird because, kind of like Night of Living Dead, they never actually explain why the vehicles come to life. Like, it just kind of happens. There's a vague thing of like this comet may have passed the atmosphere, kind of like a Night of Living Dead, you know, but it's never yeah. really truly expressed. But um, yeah, I don't know, man. This movie had a lot of good things going for it. And it's funny because if you remade Maximum Drive today in the technological terror world we live in now, we'd be, you know, <laughs> I, I we, we would be screwed, come yeah. utterly screwed, a thousand times worse than they were back in 86. It wouldn't take a comet, I don't think. It would just take some kid in his basement mm-hmm. on an iPad, and it'd be done. iPads would be turning against us and <laughs> exactly. killing us and stuff. Man, all I know is, I assume, you know what, it's going to be July 12th, it's going to be 11.30 at night. I know it's a little bit later, but this it's a quick-moving movie. It's, it doesn't even break to 90 minutes. It's like 86 minutes or something like that. This is your perfect late night, hot ass summer. Let's have a beer. Let's chill out and let's 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 watch a, a fun, ridiculous. It, you put it best. It is a summer movie. I couldn't mm-hmm. think of a better time of year to show it. This movie just wouldn't work really in January. You know, that's when we show The Shining or The Thing. That's January. We're in summertime now, and you know we we've done a good chunk of Fratins, which would be good again. But there's always August. Um, and you know a lot of people are like, well, why don't you guys do the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Very hot, very sweaty. Mm-hmm true not really a fun movie but a a good movie a great movie one of my favorites but you know what where this will be the second stephen king movie we show this year people really dug pet cemetery in february so let's just throw one more at them and it's funny because with pet cemetery uh you know king actually appreciated that adaption of his story uh not as much like misery or whatever but so now we'll just show like the movie that Stephen King didn't like, that he's embarrassed about. And if we get a great turnout, man, of course I'm going to take a picture of the crowd and tweet it out to King going, listen, man, 27 years later, redemption, buddy. Redemption. There is still love for your movie. All it took. And if anybody out there knows where we can get a semi-truck with the Green Goblins heading it to park in front of the Metro that day for good promo with an ACC cover band playing on top of the semi-truck, let us know. Give us a shout. That would be brilliant. 
there there'll be free popcorn for you. That's true. Uh, I give you a, just a small though. We, we, <laughs> yeah. we got budget concerns. Um, so, it, like, what's the date today? Is is this? Uh, it is Friday, July. Let me do the math here. Oh, it's, it's the fifth. It's the, it'll be the fifth. Oh. Today is Friday, July 5th, Kev. Oh, so in one week's time, you can head down to the Metro at 1130 at night. Now, buy tickets at the door. How much will it cost to get in once again? Well, you know, because we are bringing in a vintage price. A, for a vintage price. I wish. Or Vin- print. Oh, print, yeah. Because we're bringing in a vintage print. You know, it's going to be 10 bucks at the door. But you know what? It's justified because... Uh, the exact opposite is, yes, we're charged $10 for an old, awesome vintage movie on the big screen. But on the flip side, our beer prices are like nine thirty six inside. You know, it's it's we, we have very, very, very modest beer prices going on. So, um, and, you know, all, all your all, all, all your support definitely goes to our beloved nonprofit organization to bring in the next badass movie. And it's all building up for the big film festival, October 16th and the 20th. So, you know, come support us. And um, come on, man. It's the middle of summer. Everybody's lazy. What else are we going to do? All right. So next time we talk, you're going to talk to us a little bit about uh, the next screening, a little bit about Fantasia. You're going down to Montreal. It's going to be very exciting. Uh, but if people want to come down, you there's no closing during the summer for the lobby. It is open almost every day unless you're in Montreal. <laughs> Actually, it's, it's funny <laughs> you mention that. Yeah, I will be in Montreal. Uh, they, they're, they're, they're showing, we're, we're there for Dead Fest to try to get into more movies. They're also showing our short film that we, you know, may have, some of you guys may have seen here in Edmonton, the last video store. Uh, we're pretty excited that they're going to show it in Montreal. Um, but uh, even if I go, uh, my store will still be open. I'll be having a buddy of mine run the shop. Of course, he might not know where everything is, but he's going to try his earnest and he knows his stuff. Fake Kevin will be here. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, now we just, uh, you know, got to figure out what's happening after Maximum Overdrive. But I promise the next time me and you talk, we'll, we'll know what's going on. All right. So uh, Facebook, you can hit up on Facebook. It's Dead Fest. Uh, there's also the Twitter. And, and our uh, website, our actual website. And the up. actual website Dead back Fest. up and running. Oh. Thank you, Derek. Thank you, Derek. Actually, I don't even know it's Derek to thank. It might be Derek or Matt. Th- thanks somebody that we hang out, we drink beers with. Somebody helped us out. And remember, it's Dead Fest. There's no A, it's D-E-D, fest.com. Sorry, I got beer burps. I got whiplash going on. That's but right. uh, yeah, um, <laughs> either way, uh, we will be talking very shortly to you again, good sir. All right, one week from tonight. That is Friday, July 12th. And remember, I don't know ask how yourself many artists this. have ever been 62 Ooh, years man. old and released their debut record. We made you. He may be the first. We made you. It's hard enough for people in their mid-20s to launch a career. Someone in their 60s, it's almost insane. One morning, and I think it was pretty early, it was like 9 or 10 in the morning, I got a knock on my door. It was Charlotte. I said, I heard you were looking for singers. Making its premiere at the Metro Cinema this weekend, actually tonight at 9 p.m., it's Charles Bradley, Soul of America. For decades, he's been Black Velvet, a soul singer scraping by in Brooklyn's projects with small club gigs in the evenings and odd jobs by day. But 62-year-old Charles Bradley has an impossible dream. He wants to make it in the music industry as himself. So here's a little taste of the trailer from Charles Bradley's Soul of America and also an interview with director Paul Bryan from the Salem International Film Festival. And he still you can get the film playing at the Metro all the way through till Tuesday, July 9th. Good. 
most people could have just given up and, you know, not done anything. And, you know, he's just been plugging away doing music forever. I never made enough money to support myself in music, but I'm hoping that this album will make a turning point for me. Tonight is the night of my album release is the night that I truly find do I keep going to a heaven. They got me in the post on page six. Oh. I'm sitting over here talking to you in the paper? Oh, my Lord. Wow. Wow, sold out. This love that I feel around me will make me reach in my heart and give everybody a little peace. We gotta make a change! Hi there. I'm Brian LePere and I'm with Salem Film Fest. I'm talking today with Powell Bryan, director of Charles Bradley, Soul of America. Uh, Charles Bradley's Soul of America captures the story of a late-to-rise soul singer who's had an amazing past few years on the pop music and culture scene. So, I guess my first question, Pell, is uh, how did you get involved with Charles Bradley, uh, the 62-year-old soul singer that's kind of shot up the charts and is playing every festival that you can think of these days? Right. So, um... I, a, my executive producer uh, is a buddy of mine, and he had all this neo-soul music that he was listening to, and uh, off of, some of it off of an L.A. soul blog, and he had found um, this, he played me a ton of music when, in the summer of 2010, I was out uh, in Colorado, and I was working on a script, and it wasn't, it was like a year and a half into it, and it was not really going so well, and so I was kind of just, you know, to set the stage for it, I was just sort of like, well, I'll just open myself up to whatever opportunities arise and see what, you know, the world wants to bring my way. And so Alex Bruff um, played me uh, all these neo-soul tunes. And so I was listening to, like, some Sharon Jones and some Black Joe Lewis. And um, and then Charles Bradley came on, and I was like, what is that? It really it just – I just felt this – instant connection to the it, the song was the world is going up in flames and i just felt like i was like wow that just hit me and so i i went back and i asked the record label if i could do a music video for charles for the song and um and you know through like one string of fortuitous events after another like it that came to fruition Fast forward to, you know, a couple months later and we're in the worst parts of Brooklyn where Charles grew up shooting his music video, learning about Charles, um, you know, seeing his personality. And we find out that, oh, yeah, this guy's got a record coming out. So th this none of his music was really out except for, you know, it had been sold on 45s as singles. And so some people had posted, you know, some clips of it on YouTube or whatever. But literally, that was just a record spinning in circles. So that's kind of how I started out the music video as well. It's kind of like a, a little reference to that. But basically, um, my producer at the end of that shoot was like, um, we should totally do a little short. I'll fund it. You direct it. Um, we'll just do a show that Charles has coming up. So we started shooting that. 
and it was like obvious right off the bat that to both of us that um, we needed to make it a feature. So we kept shooting him through his album release up till the point where he took off on his European tour, um, edited for, you know, six, eight months and did a few pickup shoots. And then, you know, we got lucky, really, really lucky um, because, you know, there's a lot of people at this festival and at a lot of the festivals that I've been going to um, have these amazing documentaries that they've been working on for years and years and years. Um, you know, some cases I met a guy at Silver Docks that had been working on his doc for 11 years. And this was one of these projects where inside of a few months we were able to shoot almost 95% of what you see in the final film. Um, so long story short, um, you know, it was this, it was just really this incredible opportunity that just came from, you know, a decision that I'd made to really just kind of see what was out there and, and open myself up to new possibilities. Joining us once again on Moving Radio is Tras Ostashewski, and we're here to talk about the Edmonton Film Society and what they have to offer you in classic cinema for this great town. Tras, welcome to the show again. Hey, good to be back. It is good to be back. Now that you had a little break after Canada Day, uh, we have another screening, which is going to be part of the Musicals for Summer Night uh, series from the Edmonton Film Society. And coming up on Monday, July 8th, it's Rosemary. I'm going <laughs> to sing the rest of the questions here. Hey, go for it. Uh, tell us what's Rosemary about. Uh, well, it's uh, a, a Canadian, an all-Canadian story. It's a Mountie who discovers a young girl living alone in Alberta's wilderness, and he brings her to the RCMP outpost with the aim of civilizing and educating her despite her resistance. Now, it's not quite PC in the uh, 21st century, but in the, the glorious days of musicals, it was what it was. But the important thing to note is that uh, the girl is triumphant, and she does leave and goes out on her own. Uh, it stars Howard Keel and Anne Blythe and the great Marjorie Maine, uh, directed by Mervyn Leroy from 1954. And again, uh, as as you know, that song "Rosemary" was was a big big hit because you know it. Well, yeah, I know it. I'm not going <laughs> to pretend like I was around. <laughs> no, no, no. I but, mean, but it has lived through time. Yeah, absolutely. Because it has hit your consciousness at some point. You know. So I know, this is the thing. Sometimes you watch this stuff and you're like, oh, my God, that's where that's from. Because sometimes exactly. it's, it's referenced in other places, too, oh, absolutely. right? absolutely. Yep. Which is the cool thing. All right, so that's 8 p.m. July 8th. It's Rosemary from 1954. Uh, on July 15th, Monday, July 15th, because it's always a Monday, it's Welcome, Stranger from 1947. That's so provocative sounding. <laughs> yeah, well, it's uh, Bing Crosby and Barry Fitzgerald. So it's not quite it's not quite as provocative as one would hope. Um, it's uh, 1947, and uh, Bing plays a young doctor, and he comes to a small town where Barry Fitzgerald is the crotchety old doctor, and of course, modern methods versus old methods, and who's who's right, who's wrong, uh, with Bing singing and crooning, I guess, um, a number of uh, tunes. And it was a big, big hit in 1947, but somehow managed to um, fall by the wayside, I think, uh, because, you know, Going My Way was uh, where they played priests was much more popular than uh, this one. But yet, it's a very, very entertaining movie. 
and we're really happy to have uh, to bring it back to an audience, and it's you know ripe for rediscovery. Uh, my favorite track, "My Heart Is a Hobo," <laughs> which I think is the oddest. Well, it's maybe not the oddest title, but it's the oddest uh, title for a song I've heard in in twenty four hours. You're right, exactly. You know? Yeah, uh, so we're gonna, we're gonna play that for sure. "My Heart Is a Hobo." All right, so you got two shows coming up. It is Monday, July eighth, Rosemary, and then on Monday, July fifteenth, it's a Welcome Stranger. Once again, as always, with every screening of the Edmonton Film Society, it goes down at the Royal Library Museum. And that's on 102nd Avenue and 128th Street. And parking, as always, is free. Uh, don't expect any valet service, though. You'll have to park it yourself. Exactly. Right. Now, uh, talk to us about the membership tickets because, yeah. you know, you guys go all the way through to end of August and how much it'll cost to get in the door. It's, uh, again, the series pass is. Uh worthwhile look investigating it's uh eight movies for thirty dollars but uh individuals memberships per screening are six dollars general and five dollars for students and seniors again as i've said before and i'll say it again it's still one of the best deals in town uh, great for entertainment great fun you know and certainly uh fun for the family All right, that about wraps it up for this week's edition of Moving Radio. And uh, once again, we're just going to remind you, you can check out Maximum Overdrive presented by DeadFest next Friday, July 12th. As well, on top of that, tonight at 9 o'clock, it's Charles Bradley, Soul of America. Make sure you get down and check that out at the Metro. And on top of that, the Edmonton Film Society continues their summertime look at musicals in this Monday and the following Monday. But stay tuned to CGSR, because coming up next, it's the finest in feminist radio, Adam and Eve. <laughs> 